0: minus three is presented for the people by caesar sportsbook the greatest sports betting app of all time download it must be 21 or older minus three with dave damasheff hi and hello sports fans welcome to a brand new episode of minus three presented as ever by omaha kevin hench taking a break from the hollywood picket lines eddie spaghetti there in his usual spot behind the glass, as you can hear. I'm a little under the weather on the Mendo, ready to get even further right with the counsel of Kevin Hench and Eddie Spaghetti here on the world of sports here. So much to kibitz about. What's happening there,
1: Hench? How are you? Oh okay, First of all, I think it's hysterical that we've put ourselves on a pitch clock with a hard out on this, you know, w- we're going to do this in 46 minutes. That's it. Oh, my God. You got to be kidding. And we're supposed to do our music years. And we have to talk about the the end of liberal democracy with the lift. Well, tour. a
0: lot of people tweeting at us and otherwise on social oh media. Gosh. Anxious to hear what Kevin Hench has to say. Yes, we're going to give you our best bets for what remains of the NBA finals and the NHL Stanley Cup final, baseball. Hey, as we kibitz right now, I got to say it. We've reached the month of June. And in one of the six divisions that exist in Major League Baseball, the Pittsburgh Pirates are in first place. What in the hell? The world <laughs> is indeed upside down. Now, that's the sunshine about the bizarre world in which we live. But let's just jump right into it here. Oh, also, as promised now for more than a week. We are going to give you our respective win play shows, because we are now a music show, a movie show, and beyond here for the summer months, along with sports. We're going to tell you our choices for the three best years for music releases. Um, we're gonna tick through those, but first, let's get to our goat and goat segment. Kevin Hench, floor is yours. Goat and goat of the week, fella
1: love the idea that you think we're going to do an extra segment. Yeah, in, we are. In, uh, in, uh, about the history of music in our compressed time frame. How'd you do in math in school?
0: Very poorly. But uh, you know what? I'm going to fraction you up real good with okay. a
1: bone saw if you don't chop. Oh, chop. my God. Chops Let's up go. Pieces. So, you know, Thomas Friedman wrote a book called The Lexus and the Olive Tree, which i think the basic premise was like hey you know doing commerce with evil people is actually good because it makes them less evil it exposes them to our western ways liberal democracy the lexus is a nice car we buy the nice car from japan and everyone's happy we have mcdonald's the two countries with mcdonald's had never attacked each other until russia invaded ukraine um, but is that true? Be- I never thought about it on that level. That's literally true. That, I, guess, I think right? that's yeah. one of the things he cites in that book. I haven't read, but <laughs> the, the, um, Grimace V so, the mayor, McCheese, I Look feel out. like uh, you know, notorious anti-Semite Henry Ford and IBM ha- could have said the same thing during the Holocaust. Hey man, we're trying to bring them over to our ways. Like, yeah, there's gotta be a point you have to have a point, a a line in the sand uh, around Saudi Arabia, where you're like, yeah, you're not going to bring them over to your ways. Okay. Mohammed bone Sawman is not going to come around to your Western ways. That's not going to happen. And so the fact that the PGA has now capitulated, um, you know, to, to the, the Saudi blood money and gone, well, you know, let's get in business together. It's just so, it's so depressing. It's like, it's like when LeBron tweeted, hey, man, you guys got to educate yourself about China. It's like, no, we don't. They're a totalitarian state that doesn't believe in the free media, and they're shutting down the newspapers in Hong Kong. What more do we need to educate ourselves about, LeBron? Your jersey sales? How much money do you need? And that's, you know, and of course, that's what I ask these super rich golfers. How how many yachts can you water ski behind? It's so depressing, obviously. I guess I would say the PGA is my bad goat for capitulating. Uh, you know, didn't take very long either for all the the stands they made, invoking the 9-11 families, begging them not to do this. Oh, well, there's an extra buck to be made by splashing around in the blood money of Mohammed Bonsal, man. We'll we'll instead of the Wanamaker trophy, it'll be the Khashoggi trophy made up of, of parts of Khashoggi's body. And, and by the way, now they won't do that. That would be too no, far. Nobody's. OK, the document nobody can find is the U.S. military's plan to decapitate Iran. Well, who would benefit? Qui Bono? Who would benefit from this military plan on how to decapitate Iran? Uh, oh, I know the Saudis. Meanwhile, they gave two billion dollars to Jared Kushner. Can we find that document? Can we someone find that document like it's so insane Trump tweeting about what a great deal this this live deal is. It's like it's a horror. It is a horror that this is what the world has been reduced to and that America that that great beacon, you know, the the Gettysburg address that 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 the form of government by the people will not perish from this earth. It's perishing. It is perishing. Western democracy is perishing. Mohammed bon Salman, Donald Trump, uh, Xi, all the enemies of democracy are prevailing. And this and these idiots at the PGA, just no understanding that they're part of it now, that they are now part of this long, slow walk to Wigan Pier to totalitarianism. It's so grim uh, and, and, and for what, for more money, not, you're not to feed your family for more money. Oh, that's right. I think that's the part to me that if I can
0: jump in here and people will accuse you of when you say walking toward walking up Mount Pius to make your remarks here, and I'll join you in that, uh, in that stroll up the hillside. Um, to me, I, the, 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 the line in, in the sand, if you will, has always been when you know, Major League Baseball players and the steroid scandal and all of that. For me, it was always more morally for what it matters, what I think of other people's more. The morality of if you're a borderline major leaguer, if you're knocking around A and you're 28 years old and you can make generational wealth and set your family up by juicing a little bit for a couple of years of your life, then you should do it. I, that's justifiable. When Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa are doing it to get a little more shine than they're already getting and to make a few more millions than they're already making, that's where it becomes more, you know. I don't wanna, as they say, keep your hands out of other people's pockets and all of that. That money grab is, and that feels to me like what the PGA is doing here. Am I I guess I'm naive or or ill-informed or 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 just completely in the dark about. What goes on here? Why did the PGA capitulate? What does the Live Tour have over the PGA that makes it like wow? Well, what were they supposed to do? Ultimately, they were well, kind of. Forced I mean, I think what, like what does unlike, the PGA get
1: out of this? You know, I mean, you're a little younger than I am, but I I remember that uh, that WFL cover with Larry Zonka and Jim, right. um, was it Paul Warfield? I think it was the third dolphin. You know, and it was that like sounds right, yeah. That, that like you're like okay. Well, wow! If every team's three most recognizable players go to the WFL, that's a problem for the NFL. But if if that's it, those three guys, like they're, they're and I think the that so many of the yes already rich players going to play on the Live Tour was just the writing on the wall for the PGA, where it's like, oh, because the scumbags that play our sport are always going to go where the money is, no matter what the morality is, we're gonna we're gonna be the Toledo mudhens. We're just gonna end up with a triple A AAA version of golf because there are just very few moral people, frankly, who play professional golf. You know, so
0: Sid Gilman's Chargers are rising and showing a different way, throwing the ball around over in the AFL in the mid-60s, and Joe Namath makes the scene, and he um his star power um transcends anybody's in the NFL. And so all these, and then Namath and company actually vanquish. I, I don't think the chronology of it is that the Jets had to beat the colts to show that okay now this is a valid alternative there it's really just the rise in the star power in the other side and that's basically the equivalent cuz it seems to me I guess I'm a dummy I I feel like we well, still have the majors you still have what what matters why would the PGA have to bend over for the live tour I I mean the, nobody's there's no indication those guys all still brooks uh kept going down all want to be in the majors so I I guess I just don't understand what the PGA Um, why it needed to make this partnership. I guess you
1: have to bend over to pick up a blood spattered dollar bill. That's Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a dollar on the ground. Like it's disgusting. It's, it's so, it's so horrible. And just another, another indication of, you know, Nietzsche's point that there is, there is no good and evil. There's, there's only power. You know, I like to think there's, there's objectively evil things. I think the Holocaust was evil, you know, I, I maybe I'm, I guess I'm a left wing radical. Like it's it's just horrible. It's funny. I guess Islamo fascists and Christo fascists actually have a lot in common. It's right in the name. Uh, like yeah, we're not we're just not fans of democracy. And so the biggest enemy of democracy, obviously, is tweeting out how happy he is with the with the live tour uh, swallowing the PGA tour. Um, it's just, you know, go, oh, it's just, it's so well,
0: here's what I'll, if it makes you feel any better and I suspect it won't, it is the, the now ancient reference that I always make that the, the alien versus predator tagline, whoever wins, we lose. Um, but more recently, and you know, you are not allowed on social media apparently today, if you have not compared this to what we just saw in succession and every point you just made about there's only power that that's right. There was, if it met, there's no one on the PGA tour, this side of, I guess, Rory McIlroy, who you're supposed to be rooting for anyway. I mean, Jay Monahan and everybody else has proven themselves to be just as greedy and grimy as uh, as the other
1: side. Right. I remember like, I don't remember this the seventies or eighties. I think I remember, but there was a golfer named Mac O'Grady. Hmm. Does that name? Yeah, that, that rings about bell. Right, and he was, like, you know, kind of a marginal player, but he was sort of an oddball, and he was kind of shunned on the tour, I think. And I remember reading a Sports Illustrated article that that pointed out he was a Democrat, and that was unheard of. It was unheard of on the PGA tour to be in a locker room like. It was, you know, you're a Maoist. It was insane. I was like, "Wow, is this work? Is it so rare? Is the is the singular groupthink so total at those clubs in those locker rooms that it's worth mentioning this guy's voter registration in a Sports Illustrated article because it's so monolithic, like that that they're all, you know, it it is it is succession. You know, it's like they all see the world the exact same way.
0: It is, you know, I, I I was able to piece it together when I was growing up watching golf on TV versus any other sporting event or really anything else on TV. I was able to piece together who the audience was, who the demographic was for the PGA Tour. It was all Cadillac ads. I, you never saw Cadillac ads any other time except when you were watching a a golf major. Investment companies and life insurance companies. That's that's the demographic. I guess they're leaning into that. I guess that's who you know who plays high end golf. That's who belongs to all the exclusive country clubs and everything else. Um, as usual, the uh, the populists who are in full support of this. I'm not sure exactly what the angle, what the benefit is uh, on that side of things, but owning the libtards. Yeah I guess oh, that's uh, I guess that's the angle there. Um all right so that's your bad goat. That's a, that's not your good goat of the week. That's, that's your the, bad goat. the
1: bad goat of goats, you know, that hopefully we won't get anything worse this year. Um and then my good goat uh will 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 switch to an actual sport instead of a game. Um <laughs> haha Hank hey, wins hey,
0: in the end. Take that golf. You, You're not a sport in his book.
1: Have you uh you know, I'm in an American league only, a rotisserie league. So I'm pretty up to date on how everyone's doing in the American league. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was checking a box score involving one of my guys playing the Marlins that I saw Luis Arias is hitting 399 for the Marlins in June. Like, if he goes one, if he gets a hit in, in one of his next two at bats. He's going to be hitting 400 in June and because he plays for the Miami Marlins, Hmm. nobody, you know, no one's talking about this. It's completely insane. And then I was like, wait a minute, like Luis Arias, like he won the batting title for the twins last year. Like when a guy has value, like obviously Luis Arias does, he's defending batting champ of the American league. He's hitting almost 400 now in the national league. How did this guy switch teams? from one team with no money to another team with no money. Like, I mean, I was like, so then I look it up. So the Marlins sent Pablo Lopez. He's three and three with a 4.54 ERA to the twins and two prospects, one of whom's in the instructional league, the other who's hitting 162 in high A. And I'm like, wow, what a fleecing, what a complete fleecing. You've got a guy hitting 399 in the big leagues. you got a guy hitting 162 in a ball. And a, and a guy who's not quite a th- number three starter, you got a number four starter. Like, and then I'm just so enraged by how terribly all of Heim Bloom's decisions have worked out for the Red Sox. I'm like, anytime I see good GMing, I'm like, oh, so Luis Arias was available for Pablo Lopez and two low prospects. And and yet, you know, we, we ended up with, with Kenley Jansen. Like, it, it's just, it's, Every decision Heim Bloom has made, he's won for hundred, and then and, and the Red Sox are are in last place as as one would suspect. But good goat Luis Arias, who again he could hit four hundred and nobody would know. It's the Miami Marlins and the and and all the uh, sports affiliates are selling the rights to baseball or or giving the rights to baseball back to baseball.
0: No thanks. Well of course the national pastime isn't just uh riding shotgun it's riding it's not in the second if you if it if it were in a uh in a 3 row SUV it would be in the way back it wouldn't get a seatbelt in the seventies. It would just have to ride hump or whatever, because look, you got the, the mighty Panthers and the mighty heat going on. What are, what are people supposed to do with their time down there in South beach? There's a bigger
1: problem for baseball, by the way, you know, we're out mm-hmm. on the picket lines uh, with the studios and, and, and the writers and, and fair wages, but baseball is facing a crazy market correction, right? I mean, These guys are going to come on the market and go, where's my Mike Trout, Mookie Betts deal? And it's like, oh, no, those will never happen again. Those will just never, like, there's no money. Nobody watches. Nobody watches baseball. It's very strange.
0: And I have been once again seduced by when you have a a borderline, or for me, a, a borderline relevant baseball team, there is something so engaging about that because it's on every day. And in fact, it feels like, you know, the week, the 6 days you wait between NFL games is, you know, it, it, it is an eternity. But it's weird that when your ball club takes a day off and they're on a heater, boy, you really miss it. The 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 rhythm of it every day and it almost takes on because it's every day, it's almost a background part of your life and I started to think about what it must have been when there wasn't even TV and it was on in the radio. And then the games were played in the middle of the day. Who was going to those games, by the way, who was going to games in 1954. They weren't mostly night games they were mostly day games. So who was able to indulge those games and attend those ball games? I guess they were more sparsely attended is the answer to that. We know that by, by records of it, but man, I, I love, um, watching this baseball and I, I and I will make that, uh, a, a very small, um uh, a good goat of the week um my you know what uh, my bad goat speaking of watching and sports consumption there was a stanley cup final game played on monday night and dave damashek sports whatever you call me whatever i do in the world of sports didn't watch one second of it not 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 out of principle not not out of will I was busy watching baseball. I was watching the NL Central. I was watching the Pirates and the Athletics and flipping back to the Brewers and Redlegs to see if the Buckos could take over first place, which I know, I know they're not going to hold on to. I have no... High in the sky dreams about what they're doing. I just uh, got that uh, just got that under my uh, skin now, and I'm watching that instead of the Stanley Cup final. Because as I've said before, and I'll say again, I don't care if the Knights or Panthers um, <laughs> have have their name scratched into the cup that bears the names Lemieux and Orr and uh, and. and- Canadians and and now it's gonna have etched into it golden knights and the word vegas i mean I no
1: I, I was care. watching the uh, golden knights pregame before game one you know the the medieval times show they put on and i'm just like I'm just thinking about toe Blake and Clarence Campbell, like rolling over in their graves. Like what I what agree.
0: Happened? Are we some, am, does that make me a curmudgeon to be, to, to shrug? Like that's the big like rationalization that people like Sal has been to Knights games, spaghetti. I don't know if you've been to Knights games, but you're like, it's a great environment because that's what people always talk about with the Knights that validates their existence in the NHL. Like, well, you shouldn't say until you go to one of their games because they, they put on a show. there. like, what does that have to do with any? I don't know what that means. Whether So what? So it's it, there's a lot of foot traffic I, in tourist heavy Vegas and a lot of people go to the games and they put on a yes, medieval times yes, show. Like, yes. All right.
2: Yes. We should be happy. People want to go to Vegas Knights games. We should be happy that a new team, a new ex- expansion franchise is successful. I don't know how many times I have to go over the same exact thing. Like, do you want them to fail and then become the MLB 2.0? It's like, also, you're talking to two people with teams who are decades upon decades older than your franchise. If anything, with a guy rooting for a newer franchise, you should want the newer franchises, and the Panthers aren't even that new, to succeed. They have great players. They have stars in the league. I just, I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here with how many times I have like, to defend this, this Stanley Cup. Was, well, I be- I was this. game, was game am- two good? No, but it's like.
1: I am uh, rooting for the Golden Knights. I will. I will agree with that. I am rooting for them to vanquish these miserable Panthers.
0: Um. But my good goat, I'm gonna get up on Mount Pius here. I'm sorry to do it, but I have to get up on Mount Pius once again. It is on this weird day, um, June sixth. Keep in mind, 44. What happened in in uh, mid century, twentieth century. I encourage you. If you can spare a moment, I hate when people get all preachy about this. I have, I'm, I'm. Believe me, as I always say, I'm just a guy. I'm no man. But go and look at the men who were 18 and look at the photos. That would be what I would
3: encourage you to do.
1: Find America was anti-fascist when we find photographs when we killed fascists June 6, 1944. But specifically,
0: there are many images you can find online. Of the guys that were in those boats that you saw in Saving Private Ryan, the 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 Spielberg picture, you've seen it. But look at the actual cats who are in those things, throwing up on themselves, writing goodbye notes to their families as the sea bounced them around, and it was it was so violent. The, the trip through the night that they were really they were all seasick and they were all, you know, throwing up on each other and, and petrified and knew, know that there was 50 50 chance that they were going to survive it and all. And look at their faces. They are they are children. it I mean, like we talk about, we lionize these guys rightly for what they did. They were 18 and 19 and 21 year old kids. It is hard to fathom. Any generation doing it, people have tabbed them, the greatest generation, their deeds prove that that's the case. Go look at those guys. And, uh, you know, the the people that, you know, Ernie Pyle, uh, the journalist taking photos, read his words. But more than anything, just see if you can take a look at some of those stills of who was fighting that fight. It's 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 hard to imagine, you know. And, and I'm also thankful that 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 uh, the fate of the planet was not put on 18 year old Dave Damashek's shoulders, because I don't <laughs> think things would have worked out the same way they did. So hail to those guys for all of time. And sorry for my preaching.
1: No, but <laughs> if you read if you read Band of Brothers, you know, yeah right. That's it, a great one. winters. You know, it's chapter after chapter of these guys doing things. You're like, no, no way. You got to walk towards the machine gun nest. You got like, how are you doing this? How are your feet? Like, I think about how nervous I would get walking to s- on stage at the improv. Like, my legs would get heavy. Like, it's crazy. Right? How am I doing this? How am I going up to do comedy? These guys are like that. Mis- that machine gun nest, Sarge. Okay, okay. The
0: range, I as range. I've talked about, like it is what. It's a fascinating part is that there is a ceiling on the range of human emotion. Like I've talked to soldiers. I'm like, what are you talking about? You got nervous watching the Steelers game. How could you be nervous? You people have shot at you. What do you mean? You got nervous. Like they, it is, a, it is a weird element of, uh, of human emotion. that <laughs> It's like, yeah, I got nervous. I, like I really wanted uh, big Ben to, to score in the final two minutes. They're like, yeah, but also, Did that does that really compare in the moment with what you you personally have been through? I that's another one that's hard for me to make sense of. But anyway, shout out to uh, to I mean to the very few of those people who still walk the planet Earth or still around the planet Earth. Um and uh, and Eddie Spaghetti, take it away so we can get to some music talk here.
2: Oh my good goat, um, I'm going to go with baseball. Uh, I went to Yankees Dodgers Friday, missed uh, the two better games uh, Saturday and Sunday. Saturday, Aaron Judge, he gets my good goat. Uh, not only uh, a force with the bat and obviously in the AL MVP talks again, but his glove super almost, I don't know if he's underrated in right field, but really one of the best. Actually, spoiler if you haven't listened to the new AO yet, I am sorry for the listeners, but Sal probably could have a good conversation about if Aaron Judge is pretty much up there now with like the best defensive uh right fielders in Yankees history. And um the his play he made, catching it, breaking the wall in Dodger Stadium was just awesome. Uh so he gets my good goat and my streak of seeing the Yankees lose in person continues. Um and then my Bad good also deals with the Yankees. And I understand why they made both of these moves. I'm not saying the Yankees need these guys back to succeed, but it's very funny when they released both Gary Sanchez and Aaron Hicks. And if you look at their stats, Gary Sanchez in uh, seven games with the Padres has three home runs and the pitching staff, including Blake Snell credits him to like playing better because of Gary Sanchez behind the plate and they trust him. Um, and then Aaron Hicks, who's had his you know fair share of, uh, of problems with the Yankees. But I do think with his case, he's coming back from a wrist injury. I think he may actually be fully healthy now. Uh, and Hench, before talking about high batting average, only in four games, 11 plate appearances for the uh, for the Orioles he's batting four fifty five. Like he has five hits and 11 at bats. It's pretty crazy. And I wouldn't be shocked if he actually has a pretty good season with them. So um, Yankees let those two guys go who are helping out all the teams. They could use them in this uh, race for the AL East. The Yankees are believe like six games back right now. So that would have helped. So uh, I guess they get my bad goat as well.
0: Hey, uh, before we jump into the music talk, that was good. Uh, Speaking of, uh, of, um, you know, high-end players. You know, I know there's been a lot of celebration of Jokic, but now the buzz has begun that he's a top 10 center all time. And he really is such a unicorn that it, it's hard to figure what those matchups would like, uh, would look like we talked about what would happen if Shaq were dropped into 2023, what would happen? Peak Shaq against Jokic, peak Akeem, with the guys that we saw, Ewing, um, you know, those guys, like I, I don't know, Wilt and Russell and all those, but Hench, how say you, like, how does Jokic in your book stack up with, with the all time greats in the pivot?
1: Well, I, you know, I think he's, he's higher than top 10. I mean, he's climbing, you know, year by year. He's been doing it for kind of a while. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, he's like everybody else he's not going to be able to stop Shaq in the low post newsflash. Nobody else did either. Like Shaq got the ball on the low block. That was that, but I don't, you know, I don't think, I mean, even like Elijah Wan, probably, you know, Bill Russell and Elijah Wan, probably the best defensively Jokic. I mean, as he showed in game one and two, the different ways he can beat you like that is, you know, nobody stops Jokic either, you know, I mean, it's interesting that the Nuggets win game one and win game and lose game two, because when Jokic was dominating without shooting, you're like, oh, this is the best formula for victory. I think really for any superstar, when you're dominating without shooting and everyone else is scoring as a result of your dominance, that's the best formula for success. When Jokic has, when Jokic takes 28 shots, uh, you know, still shoots a good percentage But the team loses. Um, So I, but you know, none of the guys. Chamberlain became a very good passer at the end of his career. Um, Kareem was an underrated passer, but nobody. Walton was a great passer, but nobody put up these these numbers like Jokic. Like it's it's ridiculous. That's what I I guess. I I guess that's part of what I'm I'm getting
0: at. Would Akeem you know, if, if you dropped him in at, you know, whatever age 21 or whatever it was when he left Houston, when he left uh, the Cougars to to play for the Rockets, would he playing in this era have developed the three ball and and become a, a triple double machine like that? I don't know that he would have. And he would be the best candidate of that gang. Obviously, Shaq or Ewing never would have had that at their disposal. Ewing would never triple double in any era, no matter what,
1: obviously reluctant passer um but Elijah. you know part of the reason the rockets won those back-to-back titles is because he he did become very good at kicking it out to yeah that mad Mad max um sam cassell mario elli just spread out along that line and uh pick your poison which you know that's what the nuggets present you with too pick your poison
0: And by the way, on that, the guy whose name I keep referring to for the last three months is Michael Porter Jr. If he knocks down that three ball, he got a good open look in the final couple of minutes and he missed it. That's the difference in these games at this point, as we've discussed ad
1: nauseum. The Heat's great ability is getting teams to miss wide open threes. Look, well, I mean, it is. You, it is when you premise. How do you, you, account, for is, this?
0: How do you yeah. account for this? I still like the Nuggets. I'm disappointed that they blew game two because of my uh, plus 450 sweep bet for the Nugs. So that is now dead. Let me squeeze in a quick break here. As promised, let's get to it here, fellas. I know you're both excited about this. We're going to win, play, show it. Our best years for albums in the history of people. By our, I mean, you know, if you want to dig way back into Beethoven age, that's uh, have at it. But I don't think that that's where you're going to go. Hench, how should we do this? You want to go in reverse order, give our third place? Our no, second I'm going to
1: just go because I'm okay. looking at the clock and I want to honor okay uh, Spaghetti's request.
0: Uh, So I'll go. It's not his request. We have to do something, but okay. uh,
1: Demand. um, I'll go fast. Okay. (laughs) There is a documentary. I think it's on prime. It's called the sacred triangle. Hmm. This is a documentary about Lou Reed, David Bowie and Iggy pop. It's called the sacred triangle. I've never heard of it, but now I'm intrigued. It's, it's so low rent, poorly lit you know, cheap as hell, but it tells the story of 1972, which is my greatest year of music because of what these three geniuses render in 1972. So Lou Reed is coming off his first post Velvet Underground solo album, sold 7,000 copies. Hmm. David Bowie's coming off Hunky Dory, which you can't believe nobody bought that album. Like now everyone's like, this is a great album. Like, not at the time. Nobody, nobody gave a so and and Iggy pop is like, you know, the Stooges, he's kind of he's lost. He has no, none of these guys are making a living. Like it's goes so crazy. They're all bereft come 1972. David Bowie, they all like each other. Bowie and Lou Reed meet. Bowie says, "Can I produce your your next album?" Lou Reed says, "I'm working for my dad on Long Island." Yeah. Yeah, anybody can produce my next album. I didn't my first album, solo album didn't is terrible. So so then David Bowie in 72 produces Transformer for Lou Reed. So Lou Reed was not wearing mascara prior to meeting Bowie. Um so then Suddenly Walk on the Wild Side is booming out of windows across the city. Like Lou Reed has a major hit on his hands, thanks to the the touch uh, of the white Duke, David Bowie. While Bowie's producing Transformer, he also creates his alter ego, Ziggy Stardust, and releases Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Now, it doesn't come out until 73, but in that same year, Iggy Pop is in the studio recording Raw Power and they asked Bowie to come in and go, Hey, can you help us mix this differently because it's so raw, we're not sure we can sell this album. And Bowie goes, uh, there's nothing to mix. This is just how it sounds. And Iggy Pop basically invents punk rock with raw power. That all happens in 1972. Hmm. So 1972 is is my champion. Oh, that's uh, your number one. Wow. That's number one. And then, and then you know, we go we, that punk rock, the clash, the Ramones, uh, the sex pistols, that all comes on the heels of raw power. And then obviously very quickly we vanish into the abyss of disco and, and bad music for, for a pretty long stretch. And then, and, and, and I, I assume spaghetti will have, have stuff to say about 1991, but, you know, I know where I was when I heard smells like teen spirit and, you know, the fact that, Pearl Jam and Nirvana arrive in 1991 to to save us from a pretty long, bad patch uh, of terrible music and bring this new sound. Uh, I would put 1991 as number two and then and then uh, show uh, just sort of the start of it all. I would say 1967 when uh, Andy Warhol says, look, why don't you have this German chick? You guys are all ugly. Why don't we have this hot German chick sing a few songs on the Velvet Underground and Nico? uh, And and as has been said about that album, it didn't sell a lot of copies, but everybody who bought it started a band. So so I'd say 72 first, 91 second, 67 show.
0: Very nice. I like uh, I like your list there. You know what, Spaghetti, you're chomping at the bit here. Go ahead.
2: Um, I did not pick 91. Uh, I, I thought 91 would have been the obvious one, like you guys thought, but to me, it's missing, uh, out of the major grunge bands, obviously 10 comes out bad Motorfinger by Soundgarden comes out and hench mentioned, uh, Never mind by Nirvana, but no Allison Chains record. I think personally, and I've gotten to plenty of debates about this, I think Nirvana is the worst of the four major Seattle bands. Uh, and Allison Chains Dirt came out in 90, or 92. Uh, so 94 is my pick. 94 is my pick for a number of reasons. You have Pearl Jam Vitology, could argue it's probably my favorite Pearl Jam record. Uh, Soundgarden Super Unknown comes out, and that's kind of what blew them to start and with Black Hole Sun and Spoon Man and a, a Super Unknown the Song. My Way, Fell on Black Days, you can keep going on how many great songs, uh, one of the best albums ever. Then you have uh, one of my favorite albums, personally, Alice in Chains, Jar of Flies, phenomenal album. Um, That comes out that year. Stone Temple Pilots, uh, Purple, their second album comes out, and then you also have Nine Inch Nails, Downward Spile, uh, Spiral, if you're into the Beastie Boys ill Communication, Green Day's Dookie, uh, records I, I love to listen to as well. Plus, I'm going to kind of throw this in there. 91, there's no... Uh, Tool does not come out with their first album. 93, Undertow comes out, so they're still playing Undertow and touring for that into that year, so you're kind of getting that. But I think the most important... Uh, part of that year, which is why I'm kind of picking it because it gives it the, the little bit of the, the nudge over 91. We're talking about Nirvana, obviously Nirvana touring. They're playing live shows. Kurt Cobain passes away in 94, which also spawns a lot of great music by other bands, and in including that Seattle um, you know area like Pearl Jam uh, Immortality. The lyrics were changed due to Kurt Cobain's death. Um, but it also spawned Foo Fighters, and as you know, the the relationship they weren't bad. But I think Dave Grohl knew the time; it was a ticking time bomb with with Kurt. And he's writing songs under the the alias or the the pseudonym Foo Fighters, and he's getting people to come in the studio and play songs with him and then he releases the album which obviously comes out with with my hero and everlong and all that and now they're still one of the biggest touring bands actually just came back a few weeks ago uh with new drummer josh freeze so uh i think 94 is a huge pivotal music year um especially in that pacific northwest scene so that's why i'm going to lean with that and take that year
1: all right well done hey you gotta read if you haven't mark lonigan's memoir
2: heard it's awesome I have it's the last unbelievable. Album yeah.
1: like yeah. you. So everyone you just mentioned is in his memoir, of course, because that was such a tight knit musical community, but like screaming
2: trees are great. Yeah. The
1: story of him, you know, basically meeting Lane Staley while scoring heroin. I mean, it is, is, you know, tragic obviously because that, that Lane will become the man in the box. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it it's a page turner, and and when you finish it, you're like, I've never done heroin, but I feel like I have. That's how good it is.
2: <laughs> Plus, Mark Lanigan's also he uh, plays on uh, Songs to the Deaf, "Queens of the Stone Age." Like the guy is so so talented. It's a shame he doesn't get named in the group with all the other um, the Seattle legends because the Screaming Trees and Mark are are absolutely awesome.
1: All right. All right,
0: my turn now. And I, I swear, as we speak, I am still debating my third place, which means it, uh, it is not as important as the top two spot. My number one year for music albums is 1997. I have declared my all-time favorite album now to have come out that year, OK Computer by Radiohead. That's very close to my number one, might be my number one, also the year. That perfect from now on by Built to Spill, aka Doug March. If um if okay computer isn't my number one, then Perfect from Now On is. I'm setting aside the obvious classics, some of the Beatles great records and everything else, the ones that we collectively agree belong on the short list of, of best single albums ever. These are, I think, although spaghetti said to me that it's now. Understood universally that, okay, computer, everybody signs off on that one as being one of the rare great albums, right? Spaghetti, is that uh, fair? Um,
2: I mean, I don't know if it's rare, but it's definitely, yeah, people consider it a masterpiece. I definitely would say that.
0: Time Out of Mind by Bob Dylan. We talked with Chris Long a couple of years ago about just as the NFL has system QBs, they're system albums that just fit a certain mood, a place in time. If you're out and it's sunny out, obviously, you should listen to the Allman Brothers eat a peach as you're driving down the road. Time Out of Mind. If you ever find yourself in, in the desert in the middle of the day and you're driving out there and it's bleak and everything, throw a time out of mind. It, it, it's as though it was made to score your drive. Listen to that one. Um, other highlights from that one, Yola Tango, I get, I can hear the heart beating is one, um, comes out that year and the best modest mouse record, Lonesome Crowded West comes out, um, that year. So that's my all time greatest year in music to me. Oh, in it for the money by Supergrass also comes out that year. Um, weans the mollusk. Uh, oh, and brighten the Corners. How could I forget? My favorite Pavement record. So this is an overwhelming winner for me, for my personal music taste. The next one, 1975. This one has a more global vibe. I'm, uh, I'm opening myself up to seminal records here. Blood on the Tracks by Dylan. My favorite Zeppelin record, Physical Graffiti, comes out in 1975. Weird thing about that one. It was recorded in 1970. I need to know the story of what took so long for it to get out. One of these nights by the Eagles born to run by Springsteen. Wish you were here by Pink Floyd. um, Sabotage by Sabbath. um, So on and so forth. Uh, Blues for Allah comes out by the dead that year. And uh, so I think uh, a pretty strong choice there. And then. I'm all back and forth. I wanted to honor the 80s somehow and uh, acknowledge its importance. I think 1989, or I'm sorry, 1987. I was going back and forth between 87 and 89. I'm going to go 87 because U2's best, they've gotten a lot of pushback this millennium, but by the end of the 20th century, I think we all kind of recognized that U2 was the rock band as we wrapped up that century. REM and U2 were probably the two most prominent at that time, with the uh, with all due respect to Spaghetti's Grunge, I mean, overarching sort of um, the soundtrack of the last twenty years, I felt like was uh, was U two and REM. So Joshua Tree in eighty seven, that's their best record by far and away, one of the one of the better records you'll ever hear. In fact, top to bottom, so that gets a shout out. the The big paradigm shift away from hair bands and into grunge and that post punk kind of sound. Appetite for destruction is monumental in that regard. If you were around spaghetti, you didn't walk the planet Earth back then. But hence, you recall when Guns N' Roses broke, it was kind of like, is it? When if you sat down and listened to it, you could hear that there was a distinct difference between, say, Poison or that other garbage that was uh, that was that was filling our ears for the better part of a decade. This was a break from that um, slash on down. Uh, a great band, uh, Appetite, or a great uh, record, Appetite for Destruction. Um, Document comes out. My personal favorite right now, REM record, and uh, Sister by Sonic Youth comes out that year. Um, and Bad comes out. Kick by NXS also played a role in my uh, in my young life. I remember listening to that one quite a bit. Doesn't hold up as well for me as uh, as I'd like it to. Um, but a uh, an important record for Young Dave Damischek. So there you have my top three. Oh, and White Snake too. All right,
1: Hank. Uh, before you get out of here, what, what did you think? What did we think? Of everybody's lists there. Great. You know, the, the I mean, it's obviously Spotify makes everything so easy now. But like, you know, you're going to work out. Throw 1997. Uh, you know, just throw. You just just search 1997, and then you can have your 1997. Uh, Workout or your 1994 workout or your 1972 workout. Uh, the important thing is workout. Come on, guys, let's go. We're yes, we're, we're amen.
0: Yes, yes, um,
1: that was great uh, and, and very detailed and and exciting. Um, and a lot of good memories. Uh, for me, it nothing shocking comes out in 88, but Jane's Addiction arrives in 87. So that's another nod to, to 87. Um, My so real quick. Wait, eighty-seven. I'm listening. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I'm trying to read through
0: the massive list there. And so I'm leaving shout outs out for once. Yeah. The uplift mofo party plan uh by uh the chili peppers comes out the lonesome jubilee believe it or not listen i ended up going to indiana and mellencamp i didn't like him when that record came out but by the time i went to college i came to understand what it was to be a hoosier he was the soundtrack for uh (laughs) for small towns all over indiana including bloomington so yes a shout out to that one too
1: um and listen to that Jane's Addiction live album from '87. It's it's incredible and, and holds up. Nothing shocking is where it's at. That is yeah. a, that is a I mean, dynamite. That that, that 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 is a. They really start doing some heavy lifting to pull us out of the abyss before Seattle arrives uh, in '91. So
0: true. And and by the way, Terrence Trent Darby. It might be a punchline now, but wishing well and all of that. I, I unironically loved those songs when I was a little kid. Wishing well, kid. Do you have you ever heard of Terrence Trent D'Arby spaghetti? I don't believe so. You might recognize that right. uh, he had a couple
1: of hits. All right, here's a, we here's get a here. great, here's a wild reference, a wild overheard at a at a Hollywood bistro. I'm at I'm at Hugo's in West Hollywood eating my breakfast at this time, probably about one in the afternoon. The way I was living back then, Uh and Ali Sheedy. Wow. famous famous uh, sure. brat packer is, is is at the table next to me and she is coming off a movie called high art she's like got an independent spirit nomination and she's talking about a project with somebody and she just you made your love to her see oh, no. what no. i didn't know I didn't she know. says uh she says uh, unironically she just says Who's the Terrence Trent Darby of today? <laughs> and I'm laughing. I'm like, Terrence Trent Darby was barely the Terrence Trent Darby of his day. Like this was a <laughs> moment. But I was like, Yeah, I don't, that's a great question. You're not going to get an answer. All right. Wait, did Sheedy? Did Sheedy ask you this question? No, no, no. Her, 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 her breakfast. Her lunchmate. I would that much. Just- ba-
0: it would be an even better story if she came up to you and randomly, <laughs> like Alan <laughs> Sheedy,
1: leaned in. I'm sorry I to see interrupt you're your eating breakfast at 1:15. Can you tell me? Wow, it's perfect. We made it all the way to here without the dogs going crazy.
0: Sign of the times, by the way, also came out in '87. What am I doing? Yeah, that's I. I, I stand by that. I, I'm I, I'm now digging in deeper. 87 over 89 for Damashek. And now a quick break.
3: This episode is brought to
1: you by Hyperrice All right, give us a best bet for game three. There's there's literally nothing I can do about these dogs. My only was pulled in. She's, you know, takes her time. Even though I told her I was recording, she could give a flying about my podcast. Um, We're coming up. Oh, it is 951. All right. Yes. This is my one best bet. My one best bet. Go ahead. The Padres are not going to go under 500 this year. The Padres starting now, and and Spaghetti mentioned the pitching staff appreciating Gary Sanchez. Um, The Padres are going to play 600 ball from here to the end of the season, bet accordingly. I'm going to start sprinkling a little on the Padres every day this week. So come next week, I'll be able to report back to you on, on how the Tatis Soto Machado super team is doing they're not this bad. There's no way they're this
0: bad. It's very strange. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I say a nice little parlay. Lay the uh two and a half and over two fifteen in game three. The uh the Nugs win that one and the two teams combine to go over the two fifteen laid out there now. Spaghetti.
2: I just want to give a, a shout out and say, if you can make this bet now, I'm not sure what the odds are, but the Jonathan Marchessault, uh Smythe Smythe, I know Sal just made that bet uh, over a week ago. Got the great odds on it. Just running really quick through his goal totals in these games. not even assist last game, two goals game before that one goal, one goal, zero goals, one goal, one goal, one goal, zero goals, three goals, zero goals, zero goals, zero goals, zero goals two goals. Uh, and that goes back to the beginning of the Edmonton series. The guy has been absolutely on fire and scoring multiple goals in a game. And that's how you win playoff hockey. When your secondary score is, besides you know your Eichels and your stones uh put up goals like that March so uh, is having a, a phenomenal playoffs and he definitely should be in consideration so better on him if you could
0: I'd love to give you uh Mitch Keller on the hump against the A's but it ain't worth the it ain't worth the juice if you take them on the money line the buckles are minus 285 so Mitch Keller maybe a, a smart bet after today's game if he can put up his typical strike totals um in this one. He might get a little bit closer to the Cy Young. And the that's the A's are going to lose
1: 130 games.
0: They literally f- they walked the Pirates into first place. They loaded the bases uh, on walks and then walked in the go ahead run. Then they tied the Athletics, tied it, and then the Buckos ended up winning it. I don't care because the A's count as a professional baseball team. Um, and the Bucs are in first place. So take that, Sports World. All right. Great stuff, Hench. Good paced up show there. Uh, Back to the picket lines. Keep on fighting the good fight. Eddie Spaghetti, I'll talk to you on Extra Points. Speaking of which, make sure you're listening to all the great shows on the Extra Points Network. And until a little later in the week with Spaghetti and a, uh, a guest for you. Thanks so much, sports fans. It's been a thin slice
1: of heaven.